following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. sought after God all my life. I have never been able to live a normal American life because there has been a calling in my soul from the time I was a small child. I want the Lord Jesus. 
I want to know the way of the cross. Two times during my journey, I finally grew tired of this endless searching after Jesus and said, okay, I'm just going to relax as my family and friends are telling me and I'm going to be successful as a pastor. And quickly I moved in the flesh to build the church. And I was very successful in my endeavors. It's not hard to build a church in America today with a little entertainment, a little inspiration, some good organization. People will come. They want something that will tickle their ears. But very quickly, within a couple years, God crashed it. He said, no. I'm back searching after Jesus with all my heart. And some of you who listen to this broadcast regularly say, Ray, just relax, man. You're okay. No, I'm not okay. I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit for the salvation of the lost. This nation is going to hell in a handbasket. I'm brokenhearted over what I see day by day in the news. I can't stand it. I can't stand it when I see my brothers and my sisters who call themselves Christians walking in the way of the world, dead, 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 dead. If they're not running off to NASCAR, they're going to the football, they're going to the baseball, they're going to the entertainment on every side. Their life is full of all the things of the world and the flesh and the devil, and yet they say, we're Christians, and I'm saying, no, you're not Christian. There must be a turning aside. This nation is crashing. We are facing the wrath of God. I'm Ray Greenley. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Today I'm going to give you some material that will be very, very straight and very, very difficult. I want you to listen and pray. I want you to pray for me. I want you to recognize what the issues are. Revelation, the seventh chapter. No, Revelation, the sixth chapter. Let's begin at verse 12. I saw when he opened the sixth seal, and a violent shaking happened, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the entire moon became as blood. And the stars of the heaven fell to the earth like a fig tree, having dropped its late figs, being shaken by a mighty wind. And the heaven was split apart like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was shaken out of their place. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the military leaders, and the rich men, and the mighty men, and every servant and free man hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. In fact... They were saying to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall upon us and, and hide us from the face of the one sitting upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? A day of judgment is coming. And the condition of the church? It's terrifying. Let me read it for you. Revelation, third chapter, 
Verse 15, I know your works. That is, I know what you're doing, church. You're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. The church today is about to be thrown away by God. The judgment of God is about to fall on the American church. Because you say I am rich, I become wealthy, I have need of nothing. Oh, you don't say that with words, but actions. You have your government retirement. You have your income. You have your lifestyle in Washington, D.C., which is pretty plush. But you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I am counseling you, buy from me gold, having been refined by fire. That is, buy from me, coming to utterly trust in me. That you may be rich. White garments, that you may clothe yourself that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. That is, dress in actions, righteous actions. Take time to go to church. Take time to go to the meetings. Take time to go to prayer meeting. We held a prayer meeting on Halloween Eve. Two of us showed up. We invited many people. But no, they were too busy handing out candy to the children. What do I mean? I mean that the devil has set up a deal where he has his own night, his own day called Halloween. And the American Christians have been convinced that they should give their children candy on that night, thus associating in the minds of their children the demonic with candy. What a trap of the devil. And then you wonder why your kids walk out of the church churches actually have halloween celebrations in their church and give the children candy on halloween to entice them and so we drive down the street and we see cars with skulls on the back we see dragons on the windows we see tattoos on people's bodies Everything celebrating the culture of death. Are you surprised that the wrath of God would come on the church? He says, Rub eye salve on your eyes that you may see. And all those whom I may love, I convict and instruct. You must be zealous and you must repent. If you're saying, Oh, pastor, I'm okay. I don't have anything to repent of. I'm... I'm doing great. You're in deep trouble. The wrath of God is coming. I'm going to share with you a sermon presented by Catherine Booth, the wife of the founder of the Salvation Army. She gave this address in 1883. Listen as I share. Revelation 6.17 was her text. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? 
There have been some terrible days of wrath in the past history of the world. That was a day of wrath when wearied by the city. The cry. The sins, the iniquities. And the Lord rained fire from heaven on the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. What consternation, dismay must have seized them when they beheld the fiery strokes of his vengeance. What a change in their feelings. They who had thought themselves and their deeds of darkness so hidden from the eye of God, from the strokes of his justice. They who reviled. They who reveled in their iniquities and laughed at his threatenings and mocked the prophecies of his vengeance. How must they have shaken and howled as each torment of fire fell on their wicked heads? It was a day of vengeance, a day of wrath. That was a day of wrath too when after ages of forbearance and merciful, long-threatened judgment when it overtook the Jewish people and God let loose upon them their enemies, armed with all but supernatural power to torment and destroy. Long had his mercy put off the vengeful day. For many generations he'd sent them messages and prophets and last of all his son, whom they rejected and slew, which filled up the measure of their iniquities and brought on them such tortures as had not been since the world began, nor shall be again till the last great day of wrath. Josephus tells us that more than one million people perished in the siege, that more than a million dead bodies were carried out one gate of Jerusalem in two and a half months. And when Titus, in going his round along the valley, saw them full of dead bodies and the putrefaction running from them, he gave a groan and, spreading his hands to heaven, called the God to witness that this was not his doing. Their suffering by famine was, was even worse than this death. We're told that when the Romans came within the walls and had begun their work of plunder, they found the upper rooms of the houses full of corpses. They stood in horror at the sight and went out without touching anything. The awful prophecy that mother should eat her own child was then fulfilled, and men gnawed their tongues for pain and sought for death as a refuge from their misery. Truly, that was a great day of wrath. These were great, terrible visitations of the righteous vengeance of God against sinners. But they bear but a faint resemblance to the day which is coming when there shall be a revelation of his judgment against all the unrighteousness and ungodliness of man from the beginning to the end of time. What a day that will be. Who can conceive or describe? Now there are characteristics of the wrath to be revealed 
First, it will be the wrath of God. This will embrace the soul as well as the body. The wrath of man is sometimes very terrible. It can inflict untold sufferings on its fellow mortal. But it cannot reach beyond the body. We've all heard of instances in which the bodies of our fellow men have been tormented and racked by men of hellish disposition and their engines of hellish construction whose souls whose souls have been not only calm and peaceful but joyous and triumph in their death. Man cannot forge a dart which can penetrate the soul that is at peace with God. He can imprison and afflict the body, but the soul can mount and sing in spite of all his wrath and malice. But who shall endure God's wrath? For it not only drieth the bones, but it drinketh up the spirit. Indeed, its principal sphere of action is the soul. And it seems only just that that which has been chief in sinning should be the greatest in suffering. We all know that it is the soul that sinneth. The body is only the instrument of the soul. It only does what the soul bids. And in some instances, the greatest sins are committed by the soul alone. Consequently, the soul must be the principal sufferer. Hence Christ, in bearing our punishment, through his body suffered in a violent and painful death, suffered chiefly in his soul. He said to his disciples, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death, hours before he suffered any bodily anguish. We're told that he was in agony and sweat great drops of blood, which ran down to the ground. Now what was it that thus wrought upon the spotless soul of Jesus? It was the weight of his father's wrath against sin. He was standing for us in our stead, suffering in his soul the infliction of the justice of God against sin. It was this which drank up his spirit and made him utter that exceedingly loud and bitter cry. Now if the wrath of God were so terrible to the Son of God himself as to put him in such agony, what will it be to the undone sinner in the great day of wrath? Well might our Savior say, Fear not them which kill the body, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Neither angel nor devil can affright or torment the soul, but by God's permission. He is Lord of the soul of man. He created it, and he alone has power over it. Well might the psalmist say, Who knoweth the power of thine anger? No creature can conjure the weight of God's wrath on the soul. Whatever comes direct from God is his most stupendous, whether it is the wave of mercy or judgment, 
His love and mercy are infinite and unsearchable, and so is God's wrath. The weight of his little finger is heavier than the strength of man. God sometimes in this life lets his wrath into the soul, filling it with terror and dismay so that it becomes intolerable. Thus it was with Judas. The wrath of God filled his conscience with such terror that he could not bear it but hanged himself to be rid of the burden, forgetting that he was rushing into greater terror still. So it has been with many a sinner who has cried out in death, I feel already the torments of hell. I will not die. I dare not die. But whatever of the wrath of God sinners have ever felt here, it is light in comparison with what is to come hereafter. It is as if it were only a sip from the top of the cup of fury, the dregs of which all the wicked of the earth shall wring out and drink. O sinner, consider whose wrath it is that you are treasuring up against the day of wrath. If it were the wrath of men, angels, or devils, it would be bad enough. But it is the wrath of Almighty God. God himself will come out of his place to punish you. His own mighty hand will deal the blow. His awful voice will pronounce the sentence. It must be so. It is according to his impartial justice that it should be so. For all your sins have been against him. Though you sinned against man, yet the first and greatest of every kind of rebellion is against God. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Therefore, it is meet and right that he should punish you. Now she continues in this presentation. This is terrifying stuff. It's by Catherine Booth, co-founder of Salvation Army, 1883. What would she write today? The evil has only increased. And many of you who call yourself Christians think you are fine. You see no problem in your life. You have no problem going to the television. You have no problem going to the wicked movies. You have no problem with the wicked video games. You have no problem with pride and arrogance, selfishness. You have no problem with living your normal American life while the world goes to hell. Some of you have never won one person to Jesus, making excuses, saying, oh, I don't have the personality to talk about Jesus. Well, maybe you don't have the personality to save and take to heaven, but you have the personality to go to hell. 
What are you going to do in that great day of judgment when everything is going to be uncovered? Now, please be honest with me. Does your conscience not rebuke you for your life of luxury in the face of this nation being destroyed? Have you stood up and spoke against abortion? Have you engaged the battle against the wickedness of the homosexual and transgender trend that is eviscerating the life of America? Have you taken a stand for Jesus Christ? Have you spoken to family and friends about their condition before a holy and righteous God? Have you become a consumer of the American culture? Feasting on everything of darkness? You think you can isolate yourself in your little cocoon and live your nice life and not face the judgment bar of God? Come on! What will you do when the day of his wrath is come? What will you do? How will you stand? Are you praying? Are you earnestly reading the scriptures? Are you spending time? It takes time to be holy. It takes time to break out of this wicked culture. I've spent my whole life trying to break out of the fog of this culture that so blocks the way to Jesus. My heart is so hungry for Jesus. I search after him with all of my heart and all of my soul. I don't have time for this world. I don't have time for the foolishness of the parties of this world. I don't have time for the shopping and the feasting. I don't have time for the foolishness of this world. Every ounce of my energy is given to the search for Jesus Christ and to win the lost and the dying. What will you do when the day of his wrath comes, when you have frittered away and wasted your years on, on the luxurious American lifestyle while the world has been starving? What are you going to do? I want you to note that the wrath that is to come, Catherine Booth said, is just wrath. It will be in exact accordance with every man's guilt. The Apostle John said, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and the dead were judged out of these things which were written in the book according to their works according to what you did last night, according to what you did this last week. You perhaps have already forgotten what you did, but God hasn't, and your conscience has not forgotten. Those who knew their Lord's will and did it not are to be beaten with many stripes, but those who knew not with few stripes. Not only will this wrath be just, 
but the sinner will be made to feel and acknowledge it to be so. His conscience will take sides with God, and in spite of his feelings, pronounce this wrath to be just. Conscience is a witness of God's own appointing. It stands, as it were, an impartial judge between God and the sinner. You cannot bribe your conscience, even now, to swerve one iota from the light that is in it. You cannot make it say that it is right when it feels so wrong. You may refuse to listen to it, and you may act contrary to its teaching, but it will mutter its condemnation to your soul and write miserable. It will make you even here. What an awful witness to be against you in the day of wrath. Now you can sear your conscience with an iron so that you can walk in your sin and tell your conscience to shut up. You can sit in front of that television and drink in that darkness because you've done it for so many years. But if you will take a moment and listen to your conscience, you would never let a man or woman come into your house and say and do the things you watch. You would never let that person into your house to act that way. You would throw them out the front door. Catherine Booth goes on, If when God is beginning to let his wrath out upon you, you could cry, Stop! Hold! Listen! Oh, Almighty Judge, I'm not guilty of this or that. You might find some comfort. But conscience will make you speechless for it will bring every sin you ever committed to your remembrance and will say amen to every charge which is brought against you. Conscience will be the most terrible witness which can appear against a man in that day because it knows all about him just as God does. It is the only witness in the universe which knows so much about you. The devil knows a good deal about wicked men, but even he does not know so much as their own conscience, for he does not know their secret thoughts and motives, but your conscience does. You see, conscience is an inseparable companion. It goes with us wherever we go and notes whatever we do. It is with us all through life and in death, and when the soul and the body part, the soul and the conscience, they do not part but go together into the next world so that its record exists for every moment of our lives, from the dawn of reason to the last thought in death. Paul may well ask, Who knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? And therefore there is no one so proper to give evidence for or against a man in the great day of account as conscience. Hence, God tells us he will judge every man according to the testimony of his conscience. Both saints and sinners shall stand or fall by its verdict. You may quiet your conscience and sear it but it is recording everything you do. 
God will judge upon clear evidence according to those things written in the books of his own omniscience and in the book of the sinner's conscience. God will have one book, the sinner another, and both will agree to the letter. Sinner, this book is in your heart right now. You have been writing one of its pages today. Beware, it may be brought up against you in the great day of his wrath. Beware that what you write in it tonight, you would be surprised to see how many entries it has already of mercy abused and rejected, calls unheeded, convictions stifled, opportunities trifled with, sermons forgotten. Mind what you add to this dark catalog. For you must either get it canceled by the blood of Jesus or add another occasion for wrath against the day of wrath. This will be the climax of your guilt, the center on which the fire of God's vengeance will fix itself forever and ever in your guilty soul, that you rejected Jesus. That after the wonderful love of God in redeeming you by the precious blood of his Son, you would not listen, you would not submit, you would not repent and be saved, but in spite of all he could do, would push your way down to eternal death. We are told that as the righteous take their places in glory, they will sing, Just and righteous art thou, O King of saints, And the first sentence that is groaned out by the lost sinner as he sinks into perdition will be, it is just. But further, I want you to remember that it will be uttermost wrath, wrath unmixed with mercy. Some of us have seen sinners drink terrible cups of suffering in this world but none of us have ever seen a trial without some sweet in it. There's no calamity in this life without some alleviating circumstances, no pain without some comfort. Hence, the world has accepted the adage, there is nothing bad that it might be worse. But this adage will be out of date when the great day of his wrath is come. Then the bad will be as bad as it can be, and the worst, the very worst, will have come. Now the vilest of sinners may find mercy for the seeking. Then it will be too late even to ask for mercy. Mercy's term will have expired, and justice and judgment will be the habitation of his throne forever. There are many who now ask, or reply when they're asked if they're prepared for judgment, they say, well, no, but, you know, God is merciful, intimating that though they continue in sin and rebellion till death, 
God will be too merciful to send them to hell at the last moment. They forget that he must be just as well as merciful and that there is but one way by which he can show mercy to the guilty and that is through his son to those who repent and accept him turn from their sin but these people refuse to repent and reject God's only way of mercy How will they dare ask for mercy then? It would be like the murderer asking for mercy when he gets to the scaffold. The date of mercy will be out. The day of grace will be over and nothing left but wrath and fire indignation forever and ever, alas. Catherine Booth goes on. Ah, if sinners and saints poets or philosophers could only find any satisfactory evidence that this wrath would ever come to an end, that a jubilee there would be amongst the wicked both on earth and in hell. But sinner, remember that the same words are used to describe the duration of the misery of the wicked, which are used and set forth for the duration of the blessedness of the righteous, yea, and the duration of the existence of God himself, He who was the embodiment of truth and love, who came to seek and to save us, not to mock us by false representations of future woe, declares it is better to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And another place he calls it the fire that never shall be quenched, quenched, And in speaking of the wicked in the last great day, he says, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. Others may choose for themselves, but God forbid that you or I should make the fearful experiment of finding out the meaning of these awful words. Oh, my unsaved hearers, will you not be persuaded to flee from the wrath? Mercy still holds out. Jesus still shows his wounds and pleads his blood. Will you put down your arms and take refuge under his cross? Will you come and drink of the water of life freely? Or will you persevere in your rebellion and go on to drain the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath forever? I've shared with you today a piece by Catherine Booth. She gave this sermon in 1883 called His Wrath. Very sobering. The scriptures are clear. If you go to the book of Romans, let me read this for you. I'll turn to it quickly. Romans, the first chapter. He's speaking about not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Romans 1, verse 16. And he says there's a righteousness that comes from God. And it comes by faith. 
And then it says in verse 18, For God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Those holding down the truth in unrighteousness. How do you hold down the truth of God in unrighteousness? By pretending that you can walk in unrighteousness and that you're a Christian and that you're saved. I can only tell you that the years of my struggle to break out of the fog of the American false gospel. I have been so shaken with the absolute certainty that either I am made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ now or I will face his wrath eternally. When I sit down with a group of men who call themselves Christians and they begin to talk about the football games and the baseball games and they talk about everything but Jesus, I am so grieved in my heart I don't want to be there. Because I know those men have been deceived. They do not know the price they will have to pay when they face the judgment bar of God. There is, a, there is an earnestness that's missing from the church. There is a, there is a passion that is missing in the American church today. There is a casualness that has eviscerated and destroyed our relationship with Jesus Christ and it has become something sentimental. It's become something of a void wasteland where we say, oh, I love Jesus, but there's no price involved. This broadcast is about revival and revival is simply the beginning of a new obedience to Jesus. A new hunger, a new thirst. So soon we're going to begin revival meetings on Monday nights. I'm I'm telling you this because as we go today to a planning session for that and a prayer session for that revival meeting that's going to begin on a Monday night, I'm crying out to God and saying, Oh God, have mercy. Let there be one more time. A standard is lifted up of your grace and your mercy and your righteousness that the church could awaken in America. Now, I know it's absolutely vital that this word that I'm sharing with you from Catherine Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, along with her husband, this word that I'm sharing with you out of Romans, the first chapter, this, this call to revival, I'm so clear this must go to the FM dial and then it must go nationally. And so because of that, we've started a, a campaign. It's on our webpage. It's a campaign to raise $10,000. Why 10,000? Because one, the one program a month, every day for a month, will be 
on waiver about $10,000. And before I can begin to negotiate with waiver for the final price, I must have in the bank that one that that gift of $10,000. I praise God that so far this campaign the Lord has seen fit to bring $5,500. We're still short $4,500. Now I have a, a man who has pledged another 5000 but it's not there yet. Some of you could pledge that $5,000 very quickly and we could begin negotiations for WEVA for the FM side of the dial. Now you understand, this is not for personal use. I trust in Jesus for my personal, my personal benefit. I don't take a salary from the National Prayer Chapel. I never have. I trust Jesus to bring the money to me for my personal life. I don't ask anybody for money for me. But I unashamedly come and ask for money for the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I praise God for each of you who has contributed that the AM can remain on the dial. Last month's bill is completely paid, and now we're starting for the month of November. But as we move forward, we need to be on that AM dial to invite Washington to these meetings, to these revival meetings. So I'm asking, would you step forward and give for this campaign just go to our webpage and you'll see the button to donate some of you could donate a thousand or five thousand or ten thousand dollars because you have a great concern for the gospel of Jesus I know FM is very expensive but it's where most will listen and I want to go where most will listen. 45% of the people who listen to the radio to Weva, they've researched and they find 45% are unchurched. This is a, a reaching out to the sinners who are unsaved, and it's reaching out to the church that's filled with lukewarm Christians who are not on fire. There must be a change in the church. So I come asking you, Will you go to our webpage? And will you go to nationalprayerchapel.com? And as you go to nationalprayerchapel.com, mine is loading right now as I'm speaking with you. You'll see a picture of a, a man praying. And then you'll see hands that are clasped over the Bible. National Prayer Chapel to the heart of Jesus. Welcome to the heart of Jesus. Go to the second page. And you'll see a hundred builders. And if you will click on that, you'll see the builders campaign. The goal is $10,000. We need a, a hundred builders who will give a hundred dollars but if God is calling and you are urgent, will you go further than that? 
were $4,500 short of having, with six gifts, were $4,500 short of having that $10,000 that will allow me to begin to negotiate with Weva for that airtime on the FM dial. Now, I hope you understand the message that I shared with you today is the message that Washington, D.C. needs to hear. The leaders in Congress in the White House our legislators, the government employees, and the many others who live in Washington, D.C., they need to hear this gospel message. They need to be awakened to their true spiritual condition. They're not going to be awakened. Their conscience will not be pricked without the preaching of the word. Can I tell you? Revival happens in the church. And we're working together with both the National Prayer Chapel and with the All Saints Anglican Church. And I'm praying that some other churches will join us because all of us as churches can stand for the salvation of the lost and the awakening of the church around the cross of Jesus. And if you're a pastor and you would like to be a part of this, you are welcome to contact me. And all of you are welcome to come and become a builder. Giving that $100 one-time gift or finishing the campaign with $4,500 or 5000 to just push us well over. Because you know when you donate on PayPal, they take some of the money for themselves. Have you been awakened? Are you concerned? Do you want this message of righteousness and holiness by faith in the blood of Jesus to be broadcast over this city? I've been asking Jesus for 10 years if we could go to the FM side of the dial. And I finally know it's time, and I'm just, I'm crying out to Jesus, and I'm standing by faith that he now will move in the hearts of his people to step forward and say, Pilgrim's progress needs to be on the FM side of the dial. This city needs to hear this message. And there are some of you who so struggle financially. I know one man. He gave $100. It was like $1,000 for him. But I know for some of you, $100 is like $10. I know you could give that 1000 or I know you could give that 4500 or you could give 5000 or 10000 Whatever is given is going to go to FM radio on WAVA 105.1. That we could get this message of righteousness proclaimed to the city. While I'm on that webpage right now, would you go to the webpage nationalprayerchapel.com and will you step forward and say, yes, Pastor Ray, let's go to the FM side of the dial and I'll stand with you. I'll walk with you in this. My heart is so on fire. I know there has to be a change in this city. 
There has to be a turning to righteousness. This is not to build a local church. This is to build the church. It's to build the Anglican church. It's to build the prayer chapel church. It's to build your church. It's to build the church in America. Because you know, once we go FM, the next goal will be to go national with revival. Will you help me today? Are you concerned about the wrath of God coming on America? Will you help us awaken America? We're not doing this as some big show. We're doing this at a very grassroot level where you awaken and I awaken and other brothers and sisters come to life and we come together and we say, we've got to get right with Jesus and we've got to pray and we've got to intercede. This thing is life and death for America. Will you go to the webpage right now? Would you do whatever the Lord is directing you to do? Will you pray about it, please? Will you pray for us as we go this afternoon to this planning meeting for revival meetings on Monday night? Would you pray for us? Will you pray for us? Will you pray for revival in America? We're going to open a webpage, revivalnow.church. It's time for revival in America. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I love you, my brother and my sister. It's time to wake up. It's time for revival in America. I'll talk to you soon. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.